if you're going to have that hybrid model, how do you keep connectivity with all of your employees? How do you keep instilling in them what your corporate culture is when they're not hanging around the water cooler or having these ad hoc conversations with their colleagues? So you've got to continually instill that with them. And out of sight should not be out of mind. The world isn't simple anymore. And on the Walden Pond podcast, your host, anti-fraud expert Vince Walden, is talking to experts about the technology and compliance trends you need to know about to keep your compliance and fraud detection programs relevant. If you're looking for insights that are practical, timely, and innovative, welcome to The Pond. Well, welcome to The Pond. I'm your host, Vincent Walden, coming to you on the Compliance Podcast Network. So glad you could join us today. With me is Margot Cella, Vice President, Research and Anti-Fraud Initiatives at the Center for Audit Quality. So welcome, Margot. Thank you. So glad to have you on, the, on this one. I'm really excited to talk about what the Center for Audit Quality is doing. But before we do, I got to do a traditional Walden Pond format, quote Thoreau, And I was thinking about kind of the accounting profession and just professions in general. But he wrote, I like this one. The truth is there is money buried everywhere and you only have to go out to work to find it. (laughs) So it's everywhere. You only have to go to work and find it. Go figure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you think about the audit and accounting profession. I think there's such a demand still for so tell me, let, before we get in, let's, I'd like to go into a little bit of background about your role and how you got to be Vice President of Research and Anti-Fraud Initiatives at the Center for Audit Quality. Can you give the audience a little bit about your background? Sure, Vince. I took a pretty circuitous route to get to where I am now at the Center for Audit Quality. I started my career doing health policy research after earning a degree in biostatistics at Georgetown. Oh. Yes. I mostly focused on Medicare and Medicaid issues. I was leading evaluations of different programs and initiatives like home health care, nursing home care, those kinds of things. But then I headed up research at a trade association for supermarket retailers and wholesalers, which was a great job because part of my job was to walk through supermarkets and see what they were doing that was innovative and talk about it. But that eventually led me to working at Accenture, which many of you know is a large IT consulting firm. And my group was internal facing. So we provided research support to the client engagement team. So I'd say my career projection started with doing primary evaluation research, moved into business to business and consumer research, where we published about 20 reports each year. And then at Accenture, secondary research, where we analyze data from subscription sources like CompuStat or Gartner or Mintel to provide support to the engagement teams for whatever industry they were working on. So now I lead both our research and anti-fraud initiatives at the CAQ. The CAQ started in 2007 and was just getting off the ground when I was hired to develop its research department, which consisted of one person, and that would have been me. (laughs) Focus at the time was on academic research conducted by auditing professors. But shortly after I got there, I was asked to work on what the CAQ could do to advance deterrence and detection of material fraud. So that's how I got to have anti-fraud under my remit, I guess we would say. Awesome. So yeah, your is the Maybe describe a little bit more about the initiatives of the Center for Audit Quality. And I'd love the audience to be aware that it exists for sure. Sure. 
And yeah. is it really on like improving the audit, the quality of audits through better prevention and detection of fraud or what's the kind of mission? Well, that's part of it. So we were yeah. founded by the largest accounting firms who determined that post Sarbanes-Oxley era that they needed an organization that could serve as the voice of the profession. Okay. An organization that could bring the firms together and work on issues for our regulators, our new regulator, the PCOB. We also work with the SEC. Right. So we're nonpartisan. We're a public policy organization. We focus on public company auditors and matters. We do this by promoting high quality performance by auditors. One of the things that I think we do really, really well is we convene capital market stakeholders to advance the discussions of critical issues that affect either audit quality or public company reporting. And, you know, with an eye towards increasing, improving investor trust in the capital markets. And, you know, we, of course, as a little bit of a trade association, champion policies and standards that are going to bolster and support the effectiveness and responsiveness of auditors. Definitely a noble initiative. Yeah. And so we have a couple of initiatives that we're working on currently. First and foremost, I'm going to start with anti-fraud because that is under my remit. Back in 2010, the CAQ formed what we call the Anti-Fraud Collaboration with National Association of Corporate Directors, Financial Executives International, and the Institute of Internal Auditors. We see ourselves as sort of the primary cogs in the financial reporting supply chain. And we have a website, which I encourage folks to go to, antifraudcollaboration.org. Our areas focus in three buckets, I would say. Corporate culture, skepticism, because we believe that everybody in the supply chain should be skeptical, not just auditors who are required to do that through the auditing standards. We also focus on you know, the use of technology or emerging technologies and fraud deterrence and detection. And of course, that's my passion. Yeah. (laughs) And then your probably your other passion is fraud risk management. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So I just want to point out last year, we published a couple of studies based on an analysis that we did of five and a half years of SEC enforcement actions, trying to identify common fraud schemes, what were the most common, what kind of industries were they in, and what were the challenges and what could have been done either to detect it sooner or deter it altogether. So you can find those resources on our antifraudcollaboration.org website, antifraudcollaboration.org. So all cool, one word, antifraudcollaboration. I've been to your site too, and I just haven't, I didn't, haven't spent time on that site of antifraudcollaboration.org. That's great. I'd actually love to see that that summary of SEC enforcements. It's great. And we also did a roundtable based on the learnings of that report. We pulled together members of the financial reporting supply chain, a couple of securities lawyers, and some forensic accountants to, again, talk about some of the key issues of the findings and get their perspectives being, you know, real life in the trenches folks in the supply chain, you know, what their thoughts were on what could be done and what were the the challenges. Another area that the CAQ is focused on is what everybody is focused on these days, ESG. I think you can't pick up a newspaper without reading something about it. No, environmental, (laughs) social, and governance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, as we know, investors are clamoring for better management of and like greater transparency into ESG matters from companies. I mean, that can be demonstrated by the 
the Larry Fink letter from BlackRock, State Street, other large institutional investors. You know, and the SEC is requiring companies disclose certain climate and human capital and diversity information. So, you know, that's one area that the CAQ is focusing on because while the location of this information varies, standalone reports, CSR reports, dedicated sections of websites, that sort of thing, some things do get into SEC filings like the 10K, the 8K or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, this is important for compliance folks to, you know, have on their radar, I think, because I think we're going to see more and more of this since the IFRS Foundation announced that they were creating the International Sustainability Standards Board, so another acronym, ISSB, to try and consolidate the different groups that have been working in this space, creating frameworks and standards. And I think as they get down the road and do this, you're going to see more and more companies trying to make these metrics or these disclosures available to the investing public. Interesting. So, I mean, it's not just the PECAOB in the United States and accounting standards, but also international financial reporting standards are also yeah. going to be looking at this. Is You know, I think about bridging that gap. I'd love for you to comment on that. You touched on it just a second ago, is that with my audience and listeners are, are legal and compliance professionals with and some internal auditors as well. You know, I see so many times that, you know, the accounting profession and the legal and compliance profession need to work together so much, you know, on initiatives to have a good anti-fraud, anti, you know, and a good, strong compliance program that includes financial controls. And could you comment on how, you know, you've seen examples or ways that both the legal and the compliance professionals can work together with the you know, finance and accounting professionals to improve the corporate culture and improve financial reporting. Sure. I mean, I think one thing we should recognize is that those in the finance function are really good at data and processes and controls. And that's just sort of the way their brains work. Yeah, true. So... You know, if the compliance folks can appreciate that that's the way their brains work, that, you know, when they do fraud risk assessment or even an enterprise risk assessment, it's not like, oh, well, here are our enterprise risks and here are our fraud risks. Oh, well, they're trying to figure out how can we build a process or a system that will detect these things or monitor them or raise a red flag when something goes beyond what we think is should be a normal transaction or activity. And the compliance folks should be in on those conversations. They should hear what those risks are because it's going to impact what they do as well as the compliance folks. And I think that's also going to be true with ESG as some of the market leaders in this field, I won't name companies' names, but they have taken ESG and all these other things under their SEC reporting function. Right. Because even though there are many of these metrics that aren't required to be reported to the SEC, they want to make sure that the same rigor is there. And if you want to figure out how to get rigor in your processes, go ask your finance folks. You know, it's spot on. <laughs> you know, it's funny. And I wrote an article in last month's issue of Fraud Magazine on ESG. And it's interesting, you know, when I kind of roll up my sleeves and get familiar with it and what all the, you know, the areas, the old saying of you can't monitor what you can't measure. And like you said, you know, I think a legal and compliance, you know, they'll know the frameworks and the policies, but to go out and actually get data to measure it, 
so that, you know, and that's ultimately what people are looking at the metrics, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a carbon footprint or whether it's inclusiveness statistics or what have you. There's also a great resource in your internal audit or your finance team who can help you identify the right data sources. You know, you in compliance, you can ask the right business risk questions and the legal risk questions, but going out and getting that data and bringing it together is something mm-hmm. that the, the accounting profession is a it's, a, it's very symbiotic. And now it sounds like, especially with ESG and reporting guidelines that the SEC is going to be putting forth soon, everybody's going to be working together on this. Yeah. And you know, if you think about like some of these companies that are out there in the forefront making these net zero commitments, compliance should be, you know, at the table when they talk about these, because these things will impact many things, not just the financials. But I was at a conference the other day and somebody said, you know, if, if you've decided or made a commitment that you're going to be net zero, you know, 2030, what does that mean? What are you doing? Are you just buying the the net zero from another company, so you're still going to be polluting. So that's a compliance issue. And what are you doing in terms of like goodwill impairments and writing down what should be long-lived assets, but you've decided that you know your factory is is too much of a pollutant, so you're going to get rid of it. You can't wait until year 29 to right. figure out how that affects you financially. Yeah. The other critique I get is that you know you see CEOs making these goals of 20, you know, we'll be carbon neutral by 2030, 2040. Yeah. Guess what, CEO? You'll be long retired by then. Yeah. So it's, you've just you've just bought yourself. It's not your problem, basically. So we'll see how that new CEO takes on that commitment that you've made for them. So right. I take it with a grain of salt when I see those types of things. Yeah, but you know, the next CEO may be like, eh, "I'm not going to do it." But if yeah. but investors may you know, it. yeah yeah get very active and so really, true. yeah. Well, yeah. we have time for one last question that I okay. wanted to get your thoughts on is. As we think about advice for compliance professionals and how they can improve their corporate culture in their companies, especially maybe in the context of financial integrity, what advice might you have for them or initiatives that you might have for them in this year that they can really make a difference? So I would say continue to emphasize the importance of an ethical culture, and hopefully all these people have an ethical culture. Model that behavior, make sure it's modeled not just by everyone at the top, but those in the mid-level managers, you know, everyone throughout the organization. And I think remote work is here to stay. So begin to focus if you haven't already. And it's looking like return to work is what I'm reading from lots of business journals is many companies are going to allow remote work. Maybe not everybody, but if you're right. going to have that hybrid model, how do you keep connectivity with all of your employees? How do you keep instilling in them what your corporate culture is when they're not hanging around the water cooler or having these ad hoc conversations with their colleagues. So you've got to continually instill that with them. And out of sight should not be out of mind. Yeah, no, that's so true. It definitely, I'm, I'm recording from uh, my home office now, <laughs> given yeah. these COVID days, you're right. But I still try to make it to the office like one or two days a week just to have the interaction with people. We kind of pick that day, but yeah, it is changing. I think there's lots of studies that have demonstrated that Companies with a strong ethical culture typically have less fraud, less misconduct, and all of that sort of bubbles up to financial integrity eventually. Oh, no, that's true. That's true. Well, I love what the Center for Audit Quality is doing. I'm going to check out the antifraudcollaboration.org site because I, I forgot that existed. I remember <laughs> I see the Center for Audit Quality, but I need to go and read some of those. 
those findings. Yeah. So I will also say we ha- also have a lot of resources on ESG reporting. So your listeners oh, may want to check those out too. Oh, good. Yeah, because they that's definitely a hot topic for the compliance yeah. community. So, Margo, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And we'll definitely keep in touch. And for the audience, go check out Center of Audit Quality. What's the website for the main, the main Center of Audit Quality's website? It's T-H-E-C-A-Q dot O-R-G, the C-A-Q dot org. Oh, the C-A-Q, okay, dot org. Okay, got it. So, all right, everybody, thank you for joining us on the pond. And Margo, pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Walden Pond Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. 